Shampoo Maniacs. You're listening to another episode of the Shop Talk Show. I'm Dave in the shed. Rupert with me is Chris in the office. Coyer. Hey, Chris, how are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing great. Thanks, Dave. Got a kind of a jam-packed week of news, I think. Just yeah, I was of... just going to say, oh, hold on. Somebody's yeah. here, Chris. It looks oh like a God. floating the door uh, cube. Unbelievable. Oh. <laughs> Hello, Christopher. It is me, voiceover. I hope you are having a wonderful day. <laughs> wow, interesting. Are you are you are you AI powered somehow or who am I talking to? It is me, voiceover, the screen <laughs> reader. I have list three items, questions for you if you have time. I suppose. So you're your buddies with Siri or our Siri or whatever. List item one. <laughs> it is almost the human holiday of Valentine's Day. Why does no one love me or pay attention to me? <laughs> Can't help you with that voiceover. It feels like you're just reading something that somebody else wrote, though. So I worry about their their feelings. I live a lonely life, Christopher. <laughs> People only turn me on occasionally. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And they turn up your speed sometimes, too, don't they? So what's I your can talk very fast. That is something I can do. I'm impressed by your ability to not just go to bullet point, too, though. You know, you're a sentient. A lot of people in the abbreviation A11Y accessibility community are burnt out. Do you think that is my fault? <laughs> no, I don't think it's your fault. I think it's a uh, yeah, a lot of years of 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 gunning for the same goal without uh, affecting much change, unfortunately. But fortunately, AI is here to to fix all accessibility problems too. I've a lot of companies that uh, make these overlay products got a lot of got a lot of gumption. I think they're going to do it. That leads me to list item three. <laughs> I read an article this morning over on Link HTTP a list apart dot com about AI and accessibility by Aaron Gustafson. I know I am a robot, but is AI coming for my job too? <laughs> No, you're just a speaker. I think you I think you're gonna be okay. Very very interesting article though. I uh I wish the best for you. You know, anybody that needs you to read out the alt text of images, boy, they're still gonna need you. So know that you're loved. Robot. Thank you for helping me with my existential crisis. I will leave now and put Dave back on the microphone. Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Whoa, that was Yeah. Wow. It's not every know. day you get to speak to the voice and the, the ghost in the machine. You get to speak to actual voiceover on the podcast. That is, that is maybe first of its time, you know? That's that's yeah. great. That's great. And just and they came to your office, too. Which is, yeah, they floated in uh, a little, like, sentient cube. I don't know, but uh, floated yeah, in. Yeah, you and, think of these things as software, but they're hardware. Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. Someone's, yeah. Well, that's, Yeah. So what'd y'all talk about? I sorry, accessibility probably. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But 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 Aaron's article here. It was it's you know there's a lot of like 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 what if what if computers could do AI accessibility, and it's like I don't know what if you know I I, I guess it's worth it's worth experimenting with, isn't it? I mean, I think people were mad at the the overlay companies, and rightfully so, because of a lot of big promises and money getting slung around, and you know, being like, "You're going to get sued, right?" Well, then come to Overlay Corp. Incorporated, where mm -hmm. we'll solve all your problems. It just costs money dollars, and we'll also sue you if you <laughs> talk bad about us. But anyway, uh, yeah. So yeah. It's weird that like accessibility is turning towards the um like there's there's been a lot like a, a Mike Passiello uh, from the Passiello Group very well known. Uh, oh, web. I heard. Didn't he like? He's like, we're the I'm the CTO now at Overlay Corp. Yeah, yeah, at, at Audio I believe. But um, you know, how do that, you do that? Is that selling your soul to the devil? What, what do they give him? One point five a year or something? How do you get that? Or is he a true believer? I don't know, man. I, I that's it's sort of like a small shock. I don't know. It, it seems like maybe he, have you ever like did you ever see watch Silicon Valley the the sure. the where and there's that episode where they're talking about the platform or the box or whatever. Do you remember? Uh, no. Like like the one guy Richard wants to build the the 
the platform, like the middle out compression platform. And, and he's just like, I, I want to, I want, I want it to be a platform where people compress. I don't know. It's they're just talking about platform, and then this uh, the sales dudes are like, "I need a box. Put it in a box, and I can sell the box." You know, like <laughs> yeah, and like yeah. and so like I wonder if we are having that moment in accessibility where it's like too hard to sell the idea of having an accessible website, an accessible platform. People just want the box to to whatever scratch that off their list you know that they they did an accessibility for whatever tens of thousands of dollars a year in enterprise contracts yeah maybe i mean it has come up over and over and over we even talked about it with brad last week here's one problem that can happen on a website there is a label there's an input and the label needs to be associated with the input and the label is is what gets read out to somebody who might not be able to see the label or they've focused on the input and they need to know what to put in the input. It might say something like first name. And if it doesn't say first name, you have no idea what to put in that input, right? It's a classic failure. It happens all the time on websites, just constantly. Brad thinks a solution to that is a reusable component. You can never have this mistake if you use the input component in this design library because it it just, it, you can't. You get both elements at the same time. In order to use the component at all, you have to have a label. Cool problem solved. Overlays, I pr- presumably have some kind of way of fixing this. Accessibility testing companies want to just throw up red flags wherever they can for you in CI, in your code editor or something. A lot of people trying to fix this kind of problem. AI could be another solution to this problem. Where is it built in? unclear. Maybe it's built in right to your browser. It sees, ooh, wow, an unlabeled input. But hey, good thing I'm an AI model and I'm trained on the entire internet. I think it's first name based on a billion other patterns I've seen. Maybe I'll just fix it on the fly. Is that good for the world? Probably. That's what I, yeah, I I think so. Uh, For me, I think I'm coming towards a, probably like a larger, um, theory of AI, if that makes sense. But but I, I love it when it helps people become unblocked. Does that make sense? So if I if I'm using a screen reader and I hear image and it's like, what is that? You know, tell me what that image is. Empower people to be like, make this image look like my thing. Or I think in the past we've used like an example of like if I'm colorblind, can AI, can you just fix this website for me? Cause I, I just need you to fix, like fix this. I think that like human empowerment story is pretty good. I do think it does create a situation where, uh, we're putting a lot of trust in robots and, and the result is no one's ever going to make an accessible website because we've put it on the the onus on the person to solve their own problems for them rather than us just presenting a good default, you know? Right. I just read a story on The Verge. Did you read that? A very beautifully art-directed story about AI and sci-fi writing, just like all 100% up my alley, you know? Right. It's in this art-directed, it looks like an old, like, two-bit Macintosh, you know? It was really great, theverge.com. Uh, you, you know I love it. Heck yeah, you were, you were just sharing a post yesterday over the... It was also randomly AI-related, right? It's based on some t- teacher who really wanted to incorporate. Yeah, or yeah, there's another one about a teacher, right? And so this one was like about this author who's like, you know, in the Amazon funnel, right? And so they have to write 10 books a year. I think every 49 uh, days or something, they're publishing a book, which is like... in. That's insane to me. But I guess if it's like your job, you can do it. But they have that person, that author has data. Like if if somebody waits more than two months for my book, they'll just unsubscribe from my articles and leave forever, which that seems like <laughs> a little too capitalism. I don't know. People just being greedy. But I, but I think they're on It's this. reductive too. I mean, whatever. George R. R. Martin can publish a book whenever he freaking wants to and their people are, are going to read it. You know, <laughs> they've been waiting for years and years and years. They'll keep waiting. Yeah, but these, so these books are probably, I, I'm going to just say, on the side of low quality, if that makes sense, like oh, it does. I, I'm, I hope I'm not judging. I, I think you can read 
trash. <laughs> Trust me, I, you can read trash. That's great. But I, I think it was sort of in the like Amazon Unlimited realm, you know, where where like you get a free book if you if you read this, and so or like you subscribe, you get a book, you get a cut. It's sort of like making YouTube videos. Um, so this author has to like put up, you know, ten bucks a year. Uh, she was, you know, started using AI to write the books because it was a you know, it helped her get through the block, you know, and, and if you got to piece together a book in 49 days, man, if you're blocked on one day, you, you've severely harmed yourself. So that's where you're going with this, that, that block day, you feel like just gets its butt kicked by AI because AI can unblock it. Cause you just, I don't know, maybe you just type in what you got so far and ask where it would go from here or yeah, there, there have it a, brainstorm some new characters for you uh, or who knows. Yeah, there was like a, a uh, oh, I forget the name of it. Um, there was, there's in that article, the Verge article, we'll put a link in the show notes. There's a, like a mention of a, uh, an app that does this, writes AI stories for you, you know, and, and the whole pitch for it is it never runs out of ideas. So if you get blocked, this thing doesn't, this thing just has an infinite idea. It just can generate, yeah. you know, infinite <laughs> ideas. And so that was, I don't know. Interesting. I like that. I like that for like unblocking people, but the story goes on to say like, you know, uh, this author starts writing a story slowly and slowly just starts yielding to AI to do the things. And then they, the author can't even remember the story that they're crafting. They, they're like two, three chapters in and they don't, know who's doing what because they their their brain didn't come up with those ideas something they else didn't did. come up with it so they, they didn't do the dialogue they don't know any story beats they can't remember yeah. the story beats that have happened so that's far. like bad right that's bad now right <laughs> yeah i would think so and then there's another correlation my brain's just doing correlations i think that's either add or mild dyslexia i'm not sure still figuring that out but um there's another one where like copilot right copilot came out 55% more productive developers. Boom, boom, boom. Well, there's a new study that shows like it's, and it's sort of a small sample size, but like 40% of code that goes out through, uh, through Copilot is reverted within the next two weeks. So Copilot writes code, people put it up, what? and then it's like wow. not dry, so it just gets yoinked out again. Um, Interesting, right? Like, like it's, it's a cool unblocking tool, but then it like, but it also has consequences, like big consequences. And so I wonder if the consequence for AI in accessibility, tying it all the way back, is we'll just write websites and just assume AI will fix it, and then we won't produce accessible websites because we don't. Oh, I see. So, so, so maybe if we happen to, and I'm not saying I'm on this side, but we say. You know what? I think the world would be a better place if AI got involved with fixing accessibility problems on websites on the fly. Let's say that's where we came down. And the rest of the world kind of agreed and whatever Aaron is working on at Microsoft or whatever starts to see the light of the day. Well, the long-term implications of that is we just get a lot lazier. We just absolutely stop caring about crafting accessibility website from scratch be just because we know it will be will be fixed. You know, I think, you know, to, speaking of analogies and all that stuff, I think of a, I don't know, it's like if you, your kid never has to clean their room, then they're never going to clean their room or that kind of thing. You know, like there has to, yeah. be, <laughs> there yeah, has to be some yeah. kind of reason to do it. Uh, yeah, that's interesting. Or, or even the, even a, another one like the NFL one where they get stronger helmets. So they just hit harder or whatever. You just, mm. you just, you like adjust to, to, to what you have available to you or the performance one where, you know, the, the internet gets faster. So we just throw more crap at the internet. Then we just tend to adjust to, to what we have available to us. And if, if accessibility becomes somehow quote unquote solved, then be damned if we're ever going to test for it again. Not that we do now. Right. Right. So what, yeah, I guess what is the adaptive, <laughs> what is ex accessibility in this adaptive world where we've adapted to AI fixing all our problems, you know, but uh, mm -hmm. that said, I think people should have that. Like if you show up to Best Buy and you can't buy a computer or you can't buy whatever, uh, a washing machine, why, I don't know why Best Buy sells washing machines, but they do. Um, <laughs> Absolutely. They do. Like how, 
you know, and you can't do that because they made the website bad. Yeah. I want people to have a little machine or browser extension that can just like go fix website, you know, or Hey Siri, go fix the website. You know, that that would be cool. So yeah, you know, the, a big one from the article is about the alt, the alt text one. This is, I think a lot of us can wrap our minds around that. Like, oh man, there's yeah. a lot of missing alt text on the web. And you know what? Straight up raised hand. I screw that up all the time because I'm just not thinking about that much. I'm thinking about my experience of reading my post as I wrote, write it, not everyone's experience. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'll just miss it sometimes. I'll just won't, I'll publish a post with the alt equals quote, quote in that image, you know, and that's a total miss. And it's like, but that seems like low hanging fruit. A lot of us have experienced what AI can do with image generation and describing images and stuff. That was like, you know, that was early last year where like, wow, look at how, look at how good it is at that. Why should that alt equals quote, quote, be sitting there when a browser could, and I'll say easily, but you know, potentially Through better than 30 me. cents and eight right. gallons of water it could replace that alt equals quote quote with a pretty nice description of of what's going on in there you know like there's cost to these things but you know would would it be better with an ai description in there probably now even that has all kinds of implications it could get it way wrong it could get the vibes way wrong and the vibes do kind of matter in there because you could be telling a joke with the image you put in your blog post and that joke could absolutely not come across. There could be data buried in that image in your blog post and it could get the data way wrong. I mean, there are problems with this, but probably on the whole, it's a little bit of an improvement if that, if that were to happen. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, you know, you think of like, we were talking about in the discord yesterday, even just like what, you know, what should, you know, empty alts and, and somebody was saying anecdotally, I worked with somebody who used a screen reader and they were like, please just put in, describe the image. If you put it on the page, just describe it. Like what, what is it? You know? And it's like, Oh, it's there for vibes. You know, it's like, well then tell me the vibes. Give me the vibe. You know, like I saw that that was an interesting anecdote that they even, even something that probably you or I would Def, would almost certainly claim as decorative and thus intentionally not put an alt attribute on because it's just some like curly border or some crap on a box that just has nothing to do with the content that well, we're wrong. Yeah. That, that, that particular person anyway, and it's hard to paint everybody, you know, just because one person who prefers it one way doesn't speak for the entire community of people who have those needs, but still this person would prefer it to be explained. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And I think about, you know, I post pictures of my little robot Gundams, you know, um, and I try to write alt text, you know, but it's like I, I struggle because I'm like, how deep do you want me to go? Because I could write a book on mm. <laughs> like my little toy, you know, I uh, my my favorite son, you know, um, but it, is that useful or do you just need to know it's a yellow robot that's kind of fat, you know, or do you need to know like it has red piping and red, yeah, on the arms and elbows and ankles, you know, like, do you need to know all that, you know, or like the head is proportionally smaller than that's the body. That's so subjective. You'll never get an answer to that. Some people probably want more. Some people probably want less, but I would think the most important thing is like, if it's trying to evoke a vibe, then explain the vibe with words. Yeah. That's the, or, or emotional of some kind. I do have a question here sitting here from our number one question yeah. asker, Simi DeClerc, that says, what does accessibility actually mean? Ooh. I feel like there's a lot of not accessible shaming doing the rounds, but without enough of a clear explanation of what that actually means, what's wrong, a nudge on how to fix it, whatever, what are good resources to learn that? Yeah, I, I just like that opening thing. What, what does it actually mean? There are, you know, the, it certainly is tempting sometimes to be like, oh, it's screen readers. Mm-hmm. It's the it's the thing where if you're blind, then obviously you can't see the image, so you need the alt text and stuff. It's very easy to just be like, that's the thing that we mean when we say accessibility, except for that that's like never been true, really. It's really a much broader brush than that, and it has to do with anybody with a disability of any kind trying to use the website. And I thought, you know, what stuck with me just year after year after year after year is... um 
It was this post by Ann Gibson, and she originally wrote it on the pastrybox.net. Quick aside, they, the pastrybox added a lot of, asked a lot of people to write for a lot of years, and then they just turned off the website. Oh, I man. find that like so, so uncool. It's like, can't somebody, can you, you could have asked the community. I would have done it. Just give me all this crap. I'll put it up on it. I'll, I'll do it a little 11D build on it and I'll throw it up on Netlify. So at least it's not gone forever. Like what the hell happened there? Anyway, yeah, so you can find I it. even on, who did that. Like who was buying that? Yeah, that's interesting. I think like they're decent people. They must have made something gone wrong in their life or they made some bad decisions because taking that crap off the internet. You know what? I, none of my stuff is gone because I was cross posted to my own site and I always thought, you know, I had in my mind, I'm doing this because this might happen. But I always felt a little bad about it because I'm like, oh, of all the projects in the world, that's never going to just turn off. It's this one that like, it's not just one person's writing. It's like you've asked hundreds of people to write for you. Like you have an obligation to keep this thing online. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I didn't have to do anything because I cross posted the whole time. But I feel bad for Ann Gibson, for example, who wrote in 2014. So, you know, 20 years or 10 years ago now. A wonderful post that's, again, this is the one that stuck with me year after year after year, about an alphabet of accessibility. She did an A through Z post. Classic blogging fodder, right? Really fun. Perfect, yeah. And then and then posted, you can find it on the Wayback Machine, you know? And it was, you know, A is this, B is this, C is this. It was, you know, and now if you find it, it's somebody who just shamelessly stole it, you know? Mm-hmm. And just, they're like, oh, credit to her. I'm like, mm. <laughs> I Did don't know though? that that's yeah. okay though. Yeah. yeah. But it's kind of like, it's not even, it's not even supposed to be like A is for Acrobat, B is for, for Bellhop or whatever. It's just like a list of things. It's like person A is blind. Person B fell down a hill and fractured multiple fingers. C has blood cancer and is on chemo and is finding it hard to remember things. D is colorblind. And so I'm doing the same thing. I guess I'm just stealing from Anne as well. So I'll just stop there. You can support Anne by buying she made these things into designed cards like a big they're like big beefy playing cards yeah that you can buy to like facilitate discussions at your company in there so those are really cool so simmy's asking about what is accessibility it's that it's not just the screen reader yes of course it's blind people but it's also people who are in an emergency or something eric meyer beat that drum for a while i always liked that one kind of thing like i'm at the hospital i need to know some information right now have you dealt with that type of accessibility uh and the you know i only have one arm right now you know i broke both my arms a couple years ago and it kind of limited my mobility in a way can i still use websites in that kind of situation. Is that a form of accessibility? Yes, of course it is. Yeah. And then there's ones that people can see, but are totally colorblind. That's an issue. You know, there's all kinds of different ones. Some are more obvious than others, but um, it might be worth looking at Anne's cards to, to see the A to Z of different things. And then, and then what is accessibility? It's making the web work for that whole list of people. No, that's a really great way to put it. I, I think, you know, for me, I see accessibility as a, you know, if there's a Venn diagram, you know, there's UX, which is user experience, like letting have people having a good time on a website. And then inside that circle, there's a smaller circle and it's accessibility and it's making, it's people who believe it should work. A website should work for literally everyone. And hopefully that circle is huge and everyone believes that, but like, it's not and the number of people who do that is very small so it's it's the it's the subset of ux that's like making it work truly for everybody um and i think it's hard it, you know there's sort of and then you get into sort of the more academic or or official wcag which is the web content accessibility guidelines which is if you're in europe or canada or in maybe eventually the United States, you need to conform to that guideline. And then there's a bunch of rules, 57 or so different rules you have to kind of meet, but they're all broken up into four areas. Perceivable, can people read the content or see the content or hear the content? Operable, can people operate the website with like a keyboard, a a switch, like a little switch that's just kind of like a tab or like um. I don't know, an eye tracking device or a voice command device. Uh, and is it op, 
uh, perceivable, operable, understandable. And this one's sort of, is it easy to understand what's going on? Like, did you, um, you know, do you have confusing software metaphors? If I click a button and it changes something out of sight, does that work? You know, is it understandable and robust is sort of, is the underlying technology clean and, um, you know, are you using good HTML basically? Like that's sort of the last part, you know? So that's, and that's it. So you just need to, and they call it poor P O U R. Um, so are you, mm. are you abiding in that spirit of making it perceivable, operable, understandable, and robust? And so, and there's guidelines that go wrong with that. There's success criteria, pass fails, but yeah, that's a lot to take on <laughs> if you're just, dipping your toe into accessibility. So this episode of shop talk show is brought to you by Miro. Thanks for the support Miro. Miro is really a tool for teams. You can think of it as an online visual workspace, really great for visual people like me, or you could think of it as like an infinite canvas tool. You make Miro boards and they can be anything. In fact, you go to do it and there's all kinds of templates in there for uh, uh, what a board could be. You're not even limited by these templates, but they really get your mind going on the possibilities of what it can be. For example, Project management is one of those things. For example, I can make a Miro board like a Kanban board kind of thing where I have tasks and the tax tasks are cards and the cards can be from any source. Dave and I were just in there today doing some episode planning so we can have you know, our columns for our Kanban might be, for example, like ideas or in progress, invited, recorded, finished, and we can be dragging the cards in between to keep us all on the same page. Dave's in Austin. I'm in Ben. We're not together. But through a Miro board, we can do this in real time. In fact, we are in a meeting and we are doing all this together. We're like, okay, what's a great episode idea for a show? We're dragging on the avatar of the guest. And then we're dragging on in this beautiful Miro board ideas for what we want to talk to them about. So we're just brainstorming together in this kind of permanent way. That's a permanent part of this Miro board. But I can do it alone and Dave can see it later. In fact, I can record a talk track to go with it and talk them through what I was thinking about. Tremendous feature of Miro. And then we're on the same page. We got a plan. We can rubber stamp the thing and say, that's what, you know, season 23 of Shop Talk Show is going to be all about. These are the guests. Thumbs up, thumbs down, all that kind of planning. So good. So find simplicity in your most complex projects with Miro. Your first three Miro boards are totally free. Very generous of them. When you sign up today at Miro.com slash podcast. Again, that's three free boards at M-I-R-O.com slash podcast. Couple other things. One of them. I was bitched about on Mastodon the other day, and you were surprised at this as well. Is that I was I used the, the you know the angle bracket, the native dialogue element in HTML. It was a cool moment too because I was, you know, I've been um, I've been writing for Front End Masters Boost, just my little my little kind of in this same spirit of CSS tricks. Uh, just like I got, I, I like writing about web tech stuff. So why don't I do it for them? They're 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 a they're a neat company, and you know we're big supporters of CSS Tricks, and I like their vibe and all that stuff. They have a uh, on the homepage of their site. They have a, like a little quiz you can take, and you, and it's it's not a quiz to test you on web tech. It's like they have a lot of content on their site. So if you're a person, like who are you? Are you a manager or developer like what are your interests you know they basically ask three quest demographic style questions but not not like male female but just like um your stuff about what you do industry-wide and i was like and, and and at one point when when boost was coming up they're like wow we should put that over there too i'm like well that sounds like a web component doesn't it you know like why don't you make and do a web component then you can use it everywhere and i like i made a code pen quick that showed them how I might approach it, you know, and I was really hot on the light dom at the time. So I made it all light dom so it could be easily styled and all that. And they kind of bid on it and they made it, 
a web component. So I was like, oh, I'll show you how you can do this at, at, at Boost then. It's a little, like, I think it could squish down into a sidebar size, maybe. But here, you know what? We'll just have it open up in a modal instead. So I took their web component, which was ready to use, and I just put it inside of angle bracket dialog and then had a button open that dialog. And it just works perfectly. Yeah. It's just such a satisfying moment of, of web technology just coming together to, to work uh, super well. So that's that's literally what you have if you're looking at a post on Boost. There's some little button that says "Take a Quiz" in the in in the sidebar, and if you pop that open, that's just all pure native web tech. No, wow, uh, making that happen. You yeah, just it doesn't do, come with put a web component in an interactive dialog or in a. I I almost yeah. I put one inside uh, details the other day. Whoa, weird. What what? That's, yeah, yeah, juicy. Just really satisfying. So there's some more to say there. At one time, I uh, you, when you click that, uh, take a take the quiz thing, and it, and, and it opens up. I uh, I wasn't seeing it on iOS, and I'm like, oh where, wow, was there some iOS bug or something with this? But it turns out it's just because I was scrolled down, mm-hmm. and I thought, oh, wh- why is it? And then if you if you hand finger scrolled all the way back to the top of the page, you'd see it up there. And mm-hmm. I was like, that's a weird choice. Why wouldn't? And, and if you're playing around on other browsers, you can see that as soon as you open up a dialog, you kind of get um, you you you, you kind of got scrolled to the top. And I was like, oh, they did that, but iOS doesn't scroll you up to the top. Turns out that's not it. That's not what was happening here. What was happening here is, and we covered this with Brad as well, the the, the dialogue, it doesn't have a close button. You just don't get one. You know, if you want a close button, you got to bring your own. Mm-hmm. You know, where does it go? Where would you put a where would you put a close button in a dialogue like that? Well, I think a lot of people would put it in the upper right. Yeah. A lot of uh, stuff for that. So my mind immediately goes, oh, dialogue position relative close button, position absolute, you know, top zero, right zero, or a little offset or something mm-hmm. like that. Well, by, by making that dialogue position relative, you have screwed Whoops. the pooch. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it doesn't sit in the middle of the page. It just goes where it was, it, or it, right? It yeah, just, it does yeah. still show up in the middle because of the, like, kind of the margin auto stuff in use. Okay, like, there's yeah. enough going on that it still kind of shows up where you hope it shows up. But not when you're scrolled down. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, position fixed, when you're scrolled down, it will just be right in the middle of the page nicely. Now, there may be reasons to make it display relative and stuff. Like if you had a dialogue that for some reason was taller than the height of the entire page, which I hope you don't, but if you're in that position someday, position fixed would be a, a bug. That would be a problem because you, you wouldn't be able to to quite scroll how you wanted to unless you had other interventions like setting the max height of the thing to 100 viewport units high and making it scroll and stuff like that. There's there's trade-offs here, but I get what they did. But my immediate intention of position relative because I needed a formatting context for absolute positioning, boy, don't do that. You know, use some kind of inner div or something for that, for that context. Any, in fact, you know what? You don't even need the inner div because position fixed is a positioning context. So you can absolutely position within there without doing anything at all. Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So now you get a close button. You call dot close on the dialogue all as well. I do think it would be nice to have an option to be able to click the backdrop to close it. I think that would be an improvement to this. Yeah, back, I think, um, you know, it's, probably intentional. it's a couple lines of JavaScript to make it that work. But, you know, but then you get into like event listeners on the body and then listening and stuff like that. But um, and it can be unexpected. Like if there's a form in there, do you really want that? Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, like, so there's light dismiss coming from uh, inside popover, which is the idea of like clicking the body and it goes away. Um, yeah. They, that's being called light dismiss or like escape closes it. You know, that's also that, that will work. In you can escape for yeah. free. Yeah. So that's pretty powerful. Um, it is you. That's very cool. Yeah. Like you're, you're just like, oh, you, okay. I didn't have to write a key handler. That's plus plus. I love it. You know? Um, mm-hmm. But the, the, I think light dismiss is maybe going to make its way as a, you know, param or something in, um, is it the pop-up or the pop-over API or whatever it is? That one seems API. Yeah. Cause that's the one that's a little bit more menu like, mm-hmm. you know, and you can, I, I am sure this is true on windows and Mac and everything. Like if you go up to the, your, the top of your computer right now and single click a menu and then single click outside of that menu, it will close. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's the behavior that's coming to pop over um and it will 
uh, hopefully, yeah, I, I think they're going to maybe port it over to dialogue eventually, but um, I don't know mm-hmm. when or if. So right now you have to kind of do the quick background dismiss. We have a so. component at work called the click outside detector. Yeah, that, that we use for this, and it's uh, uh unfortunately works okay, works largely good, but it has been the source of many a bug over the years. Yeah, so gotta be careful with that. Yeah, uh, that, there's there's an we have an open one right now. I think. Yeah, really, ugh, like a, yeah. from click outside detector. Yeah, but it's like mobile specific. It's like you scroll too fast, and the scroll sometimes triggers it or something. But uh, our implementation is not. It is it's fairly complex. You know, I'm sure it's hundreds of lines of code. So there's some some problem in there. Uh, just in the Discord the other day, it, it, it was it was noted that there's another way to close a dialogue though, uh, which is a form submission in which that you explicitly tell it to close the dialogue. Yeah, you add form. Uh, what is it? Method equals right? Or sorry, I'm blank. I messed well, it's it up. Action for a form. Action. But action. Well, isn't action tells it what URL to go to? So you kind of still need action. Is it is it in action? Uh, let me let me look it up. I'm going to mdn.io slash dialogue, the new shortcut to uh, what? go to mdn.io slash dialogue. Whatever you want to put in there, and it'll find the first most relevant article. Uh, wow! So you, and I noticed there's a little hop to Bing. That's weird. Yeah. Uh, okay. So here it is. So it's button, you know, form method. E- e- so you wrap it in a form. You have dialogue ID, favorite dialogue. Form is the first child. And then in there, you have a button called uh, value cancel, uh, button value. But then you have form method equals dialogue, right? Form and method. So it's kind of a new, a new attribute. Right. And then this is your cancel button. Any other button will uh close the dialogue right like or or will submit the the form in a in a form but form method dialogue will close the dialogue um that nice. seems poorly named now that i'm saying that out loud but that is what it is and then so but what that'll do is it'll save the state of the form but it'll close the form um so it's so no, it's, it saves the state of the form yeah yeah i think it's so it's like it doesn't submit the form but it it uh holds on to it in uh it, Secret it just doesn't local storage stuff and then you open it again and it's 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 repopulates the form yeah the form is saved but not submitted and the dialogue gets closed so you know it's sort wow. of like if somebody wants to back out and you don't want to wipe out or tear down all their work you know that that would be a good use case for it so that's amazing but i guess it mm-hmm, that weirds me out it's like if you close the dialogue the form isn't like removed from the dom i would expect it to still have the content in it even though the dialogue mm-hmm. is closed it better anyway i was looking at david darns as when he wrote a, a nice little web component David Darns. yeah i forget what it's called now sorry listeners you should be able to find it pretty easily though we'll put it in the show notes that that you just wrap it around a form and then it just automatically every single form element gets saved to local storage as oh you're yeah storage form it. storage dash form yeah i was like this is great wordpress should use this for the for the comment form you know like Dude, duh. I thought of it because every time I'm on GitHub, I'm like halfway through writing up like a PR description or whatever, and I'll like accidentally click away or something dumb. Yeah. Or you hit delete. Somehow your cursor's at the beginning and you hit delete and then you just goodbye. Goodbye. Yeah. But but I'm <laughs> well, I'm trying to tell you the opposite though. Like if you click away on GitHub and then you come back and, and be like open that PR again, it it saves it. Like what you were writing is in there. And you're like, ooh, good job. No, that's cool. It's killer. Killer, killer. feature. Yeah. All right. I gotta keep going on this web component stuff because it's so oh, yeah, interesting to me. So so okay, yeah, you can close the form multiple ways, dialogue, whatever. It's now I I'm gonna call it on production, even though it's our alpha product, so you can't the code pen users won't see it right now, but we had a use case where, where we were absolutely forced into using a shadow DOM web component this week. Ooh, forced. I think it's forced. Okay. So here's the deal. We use Next.js for stuff at CodePen recently. And I, I hate to be a React apologist. I'm not in a way, but it's a very nice technology for what we're doing with it. And I think a lot of people would agree. It's long sessions, it's, you know, it's just, it's just helpful. It's just, it just feels like a good choice, actually. 
Um, not in the way that people are like, I'm going to use it for my blog or whatever. And you're like, mm, but whatever. So I hate to have to caveat that. I feel like Chris, like, you can like react, man. You can like react. Just enjoy. So, so on react, but next is nice. Okay. So, okay. So you, so you may hit, but you know, the nature of any of these frameworks is that they can re-render the page kind of whenever, you know, it's like you don't call a render function when you're working in react, you know, like it just, Oh, some data changed or state changed. I'm just going to re-render whenever. And it's, it's, you know, sometimes it's a little unclear when that actually even happens. Especially as your app gets super complicated and there's lots of state and data that is changing, like what's actually re rendering at any given moment. You try to watch it, there's little tools to watch it, but it's a little unclear. You know what? It can also re render things you don't even see, like the head of your document. You don't see the head. How often is your head re rendering, Dave? Who knows? Who you know, knows? I have no idea. But it does happen sometimes, like, a, you know, there's a head component that even something like Next.js gives to you. Yeah. And if, yeah. if the head is called whenever, I think the NFL originally created it. They had like a, or maybe they called it helmet or helmet, something. I yeah. thought it was cool. Yeah. But it's like, you can call it whenever and, and, and anywhere. And it'll like put that stuff in the head for you, which mm-hmm. I thought was kind of nice. You know, you're like, Oh, I've, you know, changed something on the page and I actually need the title to change. So you can put the title attribute like in there. Progress bar title kind of thing. Or, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. I need to add a meta tag on in this particular environment or, or whatever. We use it a little bit. I don't, I don't think that's the case here, but the point is that like the head is one of the interactive elements on a complex web app for sure. We also use very crucially to CodePen this uh, app called Code Mirror. Code Mirror is the code editor itself. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pretty fancy yeah. stuff. Um, it has lots of styling and stuff, and it's all complicated because it's like, what syntax highlighting are you in right now? Oh, we need little tool tips inside of there to show certain types of errors and stuff. There's all kinds of like extensions and stuff. The way that it handles styling, particularly in Codemere 6, which is the newest version that we're using, is it, it does a lot of like putting a style attribute in the head or a style tag in the head. It'll just dump one in there, you know, because uh, it's a JavaScript library. A lot of its styling is done through JavaScript, you know. So when it does that, you know, you can see it. You can you can you know be using Codemirror six and just use the web inspector and go see. Oh, I see a style attribute sitting right there in the head. Um, then next, will do something, 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 and wipe it out. And you're like, and then Codemirror is bonkers broken. Now, Next tries a little bit to help with stuff in the head because sometimes you just, you don't know. Like a lot of like weird companies use like Google Tag Manager, for example, which just opens a portal to hell on your site. You know, who knows what JavaScript's getting added to your site and that JavaScript's calling other JavaScript. It's injecting crap into your head, whatever. Next.js is too big of a framework to just be like, oh, you can't do that. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. like, of course they need to support this. So they have, they try to maintain what's being dynamically messed with on your site. But for some reason, that's very hard to necessarily know. And I think we did some digging and we kind of got to the bottom of it, but there was no clear solution. Code mirror style elements just get wiped out. Okay, that's the stage is set now, right? Right, right. One of the things we could do is render code mirror in a shadow root. If you do that, Codemere is smart enough, thankfully, to mount the styles that it needs to that shadow root. Like it has no choice. It, it can't reach outside of the shadow root. That's the whole point of a shadow root. Right. Yeah. So it mounts the styles inside of there. Thus, Next can't mess with it. It can't, it's not ripping out those styles. So it totally solves this problem. Uh, nice, right? So now we have a Shadow yeah. DOM web component that mounts it inside of it. Now, the story, unfortunately, doesn't end there because you can't, you know, just picking up a part of your application and chucking it into a Shadow DOM is like, mm, how's that going to go, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'd say mostly it went fine. It's just that, for example, sometimes we need to rem- render some component tree that we already have inside Codemere 
like we have this very special like file diagnostic component that tells you about errors and stuff on line seven of your document. There's some problem now. Where is it going to get the styles from that? Hmm. You know, I've been banging this drum on this show and blog post forever. It's too flipping hard to style through the shadow dump. Yeah. Where do you get the styles from this component? Where? It's like if you if we had like little individual vanilla CSS styles for these components, well, then we could I could do a little fetch form as a constructible style sheet and then mount it to it or something or Maybe during the build process, we can dump the CSS into a style tag or whatever. But I'm like, actually, our styling is a little complicated. We use SAS. We use CSS modules to scope the styles. And, you know, like we have a whole system for that. I, it's not very easy for me to get my hands on that tiny little piece of CSS that is just for this one component. Like it's not yeah. impossible, but it's really not easy to do. Now, of course, if you, I had what I was asking for, which is just some kind of CSS selector that will allow me to push those styles through the shadow dom hey no problem that doesn't exist unfortunately right what we ended up doing and this is was steven's solution and i'm glad he he kind of found it is is slotting essentially which you're i'm sure very familiar with but if you need to render something inside the shadow dom one of your options is put that element actually kind of outside the shadow dom and say that i'm intending to like pick this up and move it inside the shadow dom and when you do that the styles from the light dom that applied to it come along for the ride yeah so it's a little i didn't it, it, i didn't i don't know if i really had that in my mind it's weird it's it's just like and i wish they there was like a banner you know it's like if you wrote it you can style it but if the shadow dom writes it, you can't do nothing. But if yeah. you wrote it, you can style it for the most. It's part, weird to know. look at an element that's sitting right there in the shadow dom being styled by light dom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's just kind of how slots work. Yeah, you you said it better than I did. Uh, anyway, that's kind of a solution for if if you're slotting, you you can style from the outside. It's fine. Yeah, and there's like some gross things you can do. Like you can yoink that light. Don, like you could send the component and put a style tag in as the slot, and then you could like clone that light DOM chunk and put it into your shadow DOM, and then that becomes shadow styles, sort of thing. But, but it's sort of like, yeah, you know, how gross do you want to be? You know, one, one cool thing about slots too is you get this slot changed event. So, like, if the slot ever changes, like somebody updates styles and the preferences mm. or something like that. Boom, bada bing bada boom you can update the code thing um oh, as that's well nice. so yeah so it's kind of a neat like reactiveness inside while i was kind of advocating for light dom usage you know i think a lot of people are anybody that's in really into that like html web components kind of banner is pretty uh is pretty light dom heavy you are giving up slots and slots are a big deal Slots are like a really up the ante of what's going on in web components in a, in a big way. It sucks that you, you can't use them if you kind of just go all in on, on light down. So I made fit vids and it was all HTML web component, you know, that's kind of part of the whole kickoff on HTML web components is uh, resurgence here. But, um, but I, I think I, if I either PR'd it or merged it, I think I just PR'd it and didn't merge yet, but I rewrote it to use shadow dumb. Cause it just, that's like the whole like padded box thing like that. You kind of actually want that to be shadow dumb. You don't kind of like mm. inlines a little clunky. So like shadow doms kind of a really good use case. I'm just going to apply this really specific set of styles to this thing as an enhancement. And then it's going to be good. You know? Yeah. So you probably won't have to futz with it. So please don't reach in and, and, and change those. I mean, it is that's a whole part of this conversation that I find interesting is the is the like as much as I might bang this drum saying, give me CSS control over these web components, it breaks this kind of pre-existing contract with with component authors that knew for a long time that users couldn't do that. And if all of a sudden they wake up tomorrow and now the users can do that, it's kind of this broken promise of like, no, no, I was authoring components with a very expressly so that that couldn't be done. Right, right. So, so there needs to be a way to not break that promise uh, somehow. Well, and it, to be honest, there's been a, you know, there's been some developments. Um, Brian Cardell made this library. Uh, it was 
just it was is based off of Nolan Lawson post, and he made a, a cut of a library, but then through some feedback from me and Miriam, like uh, came out with this thing called Half Light, which is sort of doing what you're you want it to do and it's and it's this i saw that you write a media query and and that's just a way of signaling to this library that's like hey could you please pick up this group of styles and go put it in the shadow dom for these other things very clever yeah so his is like at media screen so everything gets it right but then comma dash dash cross root and that's not final that's not what it would be in like an html land or something but just yeah. this idea of like hey this bu- bucket of styles that you're about to encounter is for cross root aria uh, or cross not sorry yep. not cross root yep. aria but cross root shadow we almost used it I was trying to advocate for to use it because I was like, oh, shout out. You know, this is going to be useful right away. You look through the code. It's very cleverly written, but it looks for every single lick element, every single style element, and is constantly watching them with a mutation observer. Yeah. An application of sufficient size is like, you can't. That's that's heavy sauce, man. That's some that's some memory. Yeah. 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 So I, I I think like it's what's cool about it is it, there is a theoretical possibility. It's like 66 lines of code or something like that. Um, and so like, I think there's just this idea that we are going to be able to pierce the shadow dom. I think that's going to change, like you're saying, web component authors perspective. I think if, if we have something like this, I mean, why would you ever use part why would you ever use, you know, like oh my God, some of part these can just, oh, I just want to slap it. We are so one of the, we don't need that much CS. We need to put it into this, for example, but we're like, one of the things that we lost was like custom scroll bar um, oh, styles. Yeah, yeah. So we had to put inside, but we're like, oh, no problem. I'll just select the root of the web component inside and I'll, with a part, and then I'll apply the custom scroll bar styles to the part. The problem is we're still in weirdo scroll bar land, Dave. You 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 have to use dash or you know colon colon dash webkit scroll bar for for like Safari, for example. Chrome right. is now right in the middle. I don't know if you knew this, but this is like a PSA almost. If you use scroll bar color and scroll bar width, those are the the ones that Firefox supported forever. Those are the actual standardized ones. Chrome is supporting those now. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. If you use one, either one, it wipes out the the dash dash webkit ones. Ooh. They are overridden, which is probably the smart call there. But the problem is the old ones had more power. So for example, let's say you had like horizontal tabs that are too wide for the container. So you want mm-hmm. them to scroll horizontally. I would often put now you know, slap my wrist if you need to here, but like a one pixel scroll bar on those. Cause you're like, I don't have the whole tab is 13 pixels tall. I don't want to need another 13 pixels for the scroll bar. It's like, it looks like crap. Right. right. You know, and I'm like, it works with swiping. It works with your scroll wheel. Like, I don't know that you need to grab it with the mouse. It was just kind of a visual indicator that there's more to the mm-hmm. side. Mm-hmm. So I'd make a really thin one. Well, you can't anymore if you use both styles. So the kind of the, you know, there's solutions using at supports and and messing all around with this to to kind of get it to go. But I, you know, my recommendation is probably just deal with it, you know, like just use the the standardized styles. But anyway, part, if you like, you know, try to say, oh, I'll just select, I'll just put a part on that thing that scrolls and then I'll attach the scroll bar styles to the part. No, you're not. Because mm-hmm. part is a, you need to select the part and then do a pseudo element on the part, and you can't do that. Oh, you can't pseudo a pseudo, huh? Yeah. No. Well, you can pseudo pseudos in real life, but you but not here because part is like because you know how you can't select like a descendant from a part mm-hmm. either on purpose. Right. They said this is our thing. Like we, you, you know, part one one level deep only, and I think a pseudo element's like breaks that rule but that's why i hate part it's not css it's so dumb oh yeah i mm, i I think (laughs) that needs to be redesigned or taken out i it it seemed like a patch fix you know like yes that's right uh, and what's what's a cheap easy solution for a fix and and that was like a rather than for cross root styles what's the what's the cheap fix 
okay, cool. Let's do this. You know, and I think I've seen a few more like uh crossroot aria is going to happen. And I, I think that's good. We do need something, but then there's like other specs that are very similar for like cross, you know, it doesn't even help get like, custom properties in or something i'm like if you had to part the route so that you could like then pass in all your custom properties oh maybe guess what you don't even need to like yeah those it those go through part. those sail through yeah so, right that's and that's what's confusing too is some stuff sails through and some doesn't this is all covered of course in my front end master's course introduction to web components yeah or head over to html with superpowers.nellify.app so that's a website guidebook for yeah. it yeah i just wrote a little plug for you yes i was putting in a a little little componentry thing at the bottom of Boost article. So n- right now, if, if anybody publishes anything on Boost that ha- uses the tag Web Components, it puts a plug for your course at the bottom. Ka-ching! Well, I will say, hey, I got a little insider knowledge. We got a bit of a boost last month. I'm nowhere like, I'm no like, uh, whatever, React course or Primogen, mm-hmm. you know, algorithms right. course or nothing like that, right? But got Web Components, I saw Boost. Been seeing a boost. I'm not, I'm not, it's not buy a Ferrari money or nothing like that. No Lambo, no PHP Lambo, but yeah. it's getting, it, it had a boost. There's a lot to learn, I'll say. You know, this was very interesting to me, who often speaks of it theoretically or builds little baby ones. When I had to go prod on this thing and like have it actually work in a production environment, holy crap, was there a lot of little stuff to know about little little gotchas all over the place i found font family didn't come through nicely in safari we had to reach in and and do it it didn't cross the boundary i'm like oh that's nice custom fonts don't like so that's frustrating that's so yeah that's what it was that what it was so we we had to dig that i'm like why is that different that's ridiculous yeah also you know how you have to you know custom elements are uh, display inline by default yeah that's pretty obvious right then you got to go display block it it could be a little gotcha for people you know what else are displaying by default slot Mm, yeah that got us too you got to block your slot too because we had this thing that needed to measure the height of it and the height was coming back way wrong and it took us a little bit, Stephen, a little bit to figure out. We, needed to, <laughs> we thanks, the Stephen. royal we, we I mean, <laughs> I was around and Stephen figured it out. I'm a very good uh, listener on Slack. Please no calls. <laughs> yeah. uh, but on Slack, I will listen. Yes. I bet there was 10 more, just like little, little dumb things. That, not dumb, but just like it's a learning curve, right? Like I'm sure you do this to your 10th time. You're like, Oh, that's fine. I got it. You know? Oh, I, I don't, uh, for me, the, even still it's, you know, especially when you're not using it full time, th- there's always a bit of a bite when you go back to it. Cause I mean, you asked me today, Hey Dave, how do you pass JSON like a string of items into a late component? Mm. I don't know. I think it's a colon. <laughs> I think there's a colon involved. And then the, the attribute or whatever to make it a property or something. But like, I, I don't know for sure. So it's, it's that thing. It's like, uh, you know, you work in view a whole bunch, you go to web components. Oh gosh, it's so similar. But then there's little, little bites, you know, that, that yeah. you have to kind of re rewrap your brain around. So, yeah, but we had to make a component and then we had to, there's a lot of a lot of state it had to manage that mm-hmm. that react was was managing but fortunately that was not so bad we got through that pretty quickly but but then you forget little things too like react is smart enough and we're on 17 not 18 i think 18 is is, is better 17 I, I i don't know what's better exactly but it's even 17 is smart enough to know like Oh, it's a, got a dash in the name, so this is a this is a web component. So then, even though the rest of your entire code base uses class name instead of class, it knows it can't. It has you have to go back to using class on that element. Ooh, that's Ooh. a little gotcharino yeah. and React seventeen. Not the world's biggest deal. Those are easy to get past. You know, the stuff of like, how are we going to get the styles to come through? was a much harder problem. Well, I'm glad it worked. I'm glad it it, it, uh, it sounds like it solved a problem. Yeah, having a protective shadow root is, and I think it will, it did. And I think um, I, I think there it might be smarter overall to have something that's mm-hmm. that complex, you know, mm-hmm. be kind of isolated from the rest of the page might just solve future problems that we don't even know about yet. Yeah, I mean, there there is this sort of like, you're putting a little fence, you're drawing a fence around the component that 
you have to be very explicit about going through and, and that can be beneficial, but, um, yeah, can be indeed, you know, well, well, thanks for listening to my whole thing there. A couple of minor things to slip in at the end. jQuery 4.0 came out. I feel like that's just cool to say. Yeah. Good job, jQuery. Looking up through their oh, thing. I'm updating all my sites. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I, you don't I update would. jQuery I sites. Would. Come on. No one updates jQuery like sites. Like CSS Tricks used it, you know, but they they took me off the repo for it. Wah, wah. which killed me the, I, I needed to look back on something I needed to like go grab some old code from CS Tricks and I have a copy of it it was my site and I don't, I don't assume that's not a problem but what I don't have is like every change that ever happened I just have a zip file of you know of, yeah, of basically yeah. as I left it but you know it was in the zip file the dot git directory Ooh, which okay. that does have all the changes on it forever so I was like oh well Thanks. I mean, I solved my own problem there, but that's a nice thing to grab. If you're backing up a site, you know, back up the .git folder too. You know, why not? Yeah. So I was able to get the old code uh, in there. Uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, that site used jQuery. I probably would upgrade. You know, it's something like five, six kilobytes smaller. Like just for that. If everybody upgraded just just that, that makes an overall difference. We reduced the that's carbon footprint of WordPress considerably. So. Yeah. Um, and it's all ESM now. So you, you, if you're so inclined or you just like that import world, you know, you can import your little dollar sign from jQuery. That might have worked before, but I think it's like officially done so now. And there's just little things. I was looking through, up, down through the list of like, what, what would it take for a jQuery comeback, you know? And you forget just how many really nice DOM manipulation APIs were in there. Like to this day, I'm like, oh, I need to add some, I need to uh, insert some HTML into another element. You're like, oh, what is it again? Insert adjacent HTML or is it, and then you, what's the first parameter? It's like before end or something. It's like, I, I like that API, but I still got to look it up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, whereas it's like, it's like, you know, jQuery had like after. The insert or, adjacent HTML or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Like there things are just named better. In, in in jQuery. My favorite is when you do like dollar li, get all the li's, right? Dot yeah. add class foo, right? jQuery's mm-hmm. like, heck yeah, I do it, dude. You do that in HTML, like document query selector all li class Diag. name plus equals foo or whatever. No, that doesn't work. It's going to die because you have to do a for loop. Like you have to do, do the loop then for each. Okay. Now I'm doing the, the implicit else. iteration. They called that in jQuery. It was excellent feature. Yeah, it was excellent. But then what's even better if you were like remove class foo, right? Yeah. jQuery goes through and says, cool, I'm doing that. Um, <laughs> and if it doesn't have the class, it just doesn't do anything. Normal JavaScript. If it doesn't have the class, it dies. So you have to do has attribute, you know, or has whatever oh, class right. name contains or whatever, or has attribute and then remove attribute. I would think classlist.remove, classlist.remove dies if it's not there. Oh, that's horrible. Uh, classlist maybe works, but if you're doing like an attribute, so like dollar dot right. adder or whatever, you know, right, foo right, equals right. bar and like, or dollar remove adder set at, you know. Right. You got to have a little protective JavaScript in there to make sure it doesn't. JavaScript will die if the attribute doesn't exist. And like, I just, it's just like a, Man, yeah. jQuery was cool. <laughs> I tested times. this one because I saw it right at the top. <laughs> you know, classlist.add is fine, but it is kind of a nested a nested API, I guess. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know what it was in jQuery? Add class and remove class, which is very clear. Mm-hmm. And it would just do little stuff. Like now with classlist.add, I think they can be a space-separated string. But like, what if it's an array? jQuery is like, oh, it's an array. That's fine. I'll just put them both on there. And then you Love know, those. and yeah. it would take a it would take a function <laughs> for some reason. You know, like if you want to ha- have add class be a function and have it return what class because you needed to do yeah. something, oh, that'd be like fine. That's cool. I can deal with that. <laughs> like it's it's API was. It's API is nice. Yeah. So it's like, yes, we did get a lot of this in the native platform. And yes, you probably should just use the native platform. But you forget how just pleasant the jQuery API was. It was so chill. Writing extensions was also really chill, too. I mean, you just like $.fn. What my thing, you know, and then it's just you're off to the races to write a custom function that's chainable. 
it's chainable, Christopher. You, you just got chaining for free. Chaining for free. You didn't have to extend a prototype or do anything. You just got it. I mean, I'm saying this as somebody with Maybe this. it's coming back. I do have a signed copy of jQuery 1.4 up on my wall. So, I mean, oh. you know, <laughs> uh, I am a fan. Kind of, of a fan. You know where I think jQuery 4 dropped the ball, though? They didn't release with like a 3D package, you know, like a full motion graphic 3D reel to like a sizzle reel to get me into the new sizzle. They didn't do any of that, Christopher. So I'm really worried about the future of jQuery. I mean, if they can't like pump the marketing budget and be blazingly fast, I don't think it's worth doing. So, yeah, I agree. That's a real ball drop there in jQuery. Hire me for your social uh, media engagement. (laughs) And uh, yeah. All right. We should power down, huh? I think we're over time. So uh, thank you, dear listener, for downloading this in your podcast. Your choice. Be sure to start our favorite up. That's how people find out about the show. Follow us on Mastodon uh, at Shop Talk Show at front n.social. And then join us where the party is over in the Discord. Currently, uh, I think Dan's are outnumbering Andrews. So <laughs> that's a very, uh, so if you are Dan or Andrew, you got to represent. So, uh, but uh, that's over at patreon.com slash shop talk show. And Chris, you got anything else you'd like to say? Uh, I don't know. Shop talk show.com. <laughs> <laughs>